This is the TriDot Podcast. TriDot uses your training data and genetic profile combined with predictive analytics and artificial intelligence to optimize your training, giving you better results in less time with fewer injuries. Our podcast is here to educate, inspire, and entertain. We'll talk all things triathlon with expert coaches and special guests. Join the conversation and let's improve together. Together. Welcome to the Tried Out Podcast. I am very excited to talk about racing today, uh, specifically how to do your absolute best in an Olympic distance triathlon, which, in my personal opinion, is the most painful race distance of them all. Uh, but gosh, golly, they are a lot of fun. Uh, we're in good hands for this topic. Our first guest joining us today is triathlon legend and Tried Out coach McKeeley Jones. McKeeley started her tri career in 1990 and won two ITU Triathlon World Championships in 1992 and 1993. She won the Xterra Triathlon World Championship in 1996 and won an Olympic silver medal in the Sydney Olympic Games. She became an Ironman World Champion in just her fourth full distance Ironman in Kona 2006. She won a gold medal at the 2016 Summer Paralympics as a guide for Katie Kelly when Paratriathlon made its debut in the Paralympics. McKeeley, welcome back to the show. Ah, thank you so much for having me. And definitely this distance is uh, probably my all-time favorite. And uh, I certainly have a record to uh, prove that I did like it. Also here with us is the race director for one of the most iconic Olympic distance races in the world. Patrick McGee from St. Anthony's Triathlon in St. Petersburg, Florida. Patrick has over 10 years of experience in event operations across more than 250 multi-sport and endurance events, including youth triathlons and road races, from 5Ks to marathons. Entering its 40th anniversary, St. Anthony's Triathlon is one of the largest and longest-running events in the United States. Patrick has served as its race director now for four years. Patrick, welcome to the Triathlon Podcast. Well, thank you for having me. This is a, a great opportunity, and I'm you know, looking forward to chatting with you and McKeeley on uh, Olympic distance racing. And, uh, you know, in my opinion, one of the best uh, uh, distances for racing uh, in our sport. And I'm excited to uh, be on here to chat about our 40th anniversary here at St. Anthony's Triathlon and uh, everything Olympic distance. Well, I am Andrew, the average triathlete, voice of the people, and captain of the middle of the pack. As always, we'll roll through our warm-up question, settle in for our main set conversation, and then wind things down with our cool-down. Before we get too deep into the show today, I want to give a shout-out to our good friends at UCAN. Here at TriDot, we are huge believers in using UCAN to fuel our training and racing. In the crowded field of nutrition companies, what separates UCAN from the pack is the science behind Live Steady the key ingredient in UCAN products. While most energy powders are filled with sugar or stimulants that cause a spike and crash, UCAN energy powders powered by Live Steady deliver a steady release of complex carbs to give you stable blood sugar and provide long-lasting energy. I personally fuel many of my workouts with the orange-flavored edge gel, but between their energy mix, energy bars, almond butter, and more, there is definitely a Live Steady product that you will love. So head to their website, youcan.co, and use the code TRIDOT to save 20% on your entire order. Once again, that's youcan.co, promo code TRIDOT. Time to warm up. Let's get moving. Recently on the I Am TRIDOT Facebook group, TRIDOT ambassador Ernie Casada posted the following story. We recently moved to a different state and we tried a few churches. We finally settled on which one uh, and we have been attending now for a few months. Uh, we still feel new. But today I found out our pastor is not only an Ironman himself, but he is fast. World championship level fast. And Ernie even added that he checked to make sure. Uh, Ernie says, I was like, no way. This is it. This is our new church. Now, I absolutely love this story. Uh, Ernie, thanks so much for sharing it to the group. But it, it got me wondering, where else in our lives have our athletes and coaches come across another triathlete in maybe a, a, some form of an unexpected way? So, McKeeley, Patrick, for our warm-up question today, what was an occasion away from the sport of triathlon where you unexpectedly encountered another 
triathlete. And Patrick, it's your first time on the show. We're going to throw you into the deep end. What is your answer for this question? So with a lot of event production and being a race director, we do a lot of traveling. So uh, the easy answer on this one is all over airports and sitting next to them on airplanes and, you know, uh, just striking up a conversation of, hey, you know, what do you do for a living? Well, not a whole lot of people expect to hear race director for yeah. <laughs> and so when you say that, they say, oh, I've done that before, or my wife does that, or I have a cousin who races Ironmans or whatever it may be. And then, you know, a lot of times you end up uh, sitting on an airplane or sitting in the airport uh, chatting with uh, these triathletes for a good amount of time and just learning about uh, their story, their passion for the sport, or their family who, uh, you know, they've played race Sherpa for, or they've gone sure. to, uh, yeah. you know, multiple races or, uh, you know, helped them out uh, along their journey uh, to become a triathlete. Yeah, no, the airport absolutely makes sense. I know whenever I fly on behalf of TriDot to uh, to an Ironman race or a, or a Clash Endurance race or, or any race where I'm going to be on site representing our brand, uh, you know, you're always flying a few days before the race. And so there's always plenty of other people flying to that race and you can pick them out pretty easily. There, there's always there's always logos and compression socks and uh, backpacks and jackets with uh, uh, certain things that tip you off the fact that this is a fellow triathlete. Uh, so yeah, totally get you the eye. I always have to wear something tried out, of course, uh, personally, but, uh, coach McKeeley, uh, as long as you've been in the sport and you're, you're very well-traveled like Patrick, he took the answer airport. So you can't say airport. Uh, where is a place where you have kind of unexpectedly bumped into a fellow triathlete away from the sport? All right. Definitely. The airport one is a big one, but, uh, I was actually at a horse event because my second passion of course is, is horses and horse riding at a big World Cup dressage and show jumping and uh, I happened to need a new saddle for my horse so I had booked a session so when that person came out to the barn to fit the saddle on my horse she didn't know I was a triathlete she and I didn't know she was a triathlete but one of the other barn members had an Ironman shirt on and uh, oh sure so, and Joe said to her like, she's like oh do you do triathlon and uh, she goes, oh, you need to talk to McKeeley. And uh, <laughs> she's, actually, she's actually been one of my athletes ever since. So that was seven years ago. I trained her through her first Ironman, and I think she's coming up to number five in Texas this year. So you never All know right. who does triathlon. It's such a small world. Yeah, no kidding. So for me, this answer, uh, when I was getting uh, certified as a USHT triathlon level one coach, um, you know, you, you go, you, you fly in for wherever the classes are, you go through the classes and the last step I had to complete to become a certified coach, uh, was get a, a CPR certified. Uh, they, they want to make sure coaches know a certain amount of first aid totally makes sense. Um, so I found locally in my area, a CPR class and I go to it and in my CPR session, uh, there, there were a handful of, uh, construction workers that, that clearly their company had sent them to get CPR certified. And then there was me, and then there was this other lady. And this other lady, um, she was wearing like, a, if you're familiar with Camp Gladiator, uh, the, the workout program, she was wearing like a Camp Gladiator hoodie. Um, and so she was there to get certified to be a, a Camp Gladiator coach of some sort. Uh, and so on our first break from learning class, you know, 10-minute water break, bathroom break, whatever, uh, I, I think is the only non-construction worker person in the room, she just naturally came over to me and started talking, oh, what do you do? Why are you here? And so when I mentioned, oh, I, I work for this company called TriDot. Uh, I'm getting certified as a triathlon coach. Um, she's like, oh, my husband does triathlons. Uh, and so I started telling her all about TriDot. And, and the, the long story short of it, uh, her husband actually ended up doing some work for TriDot for a little bit. Uh, really great guy, really nice guy. And uh, and so now, uh, whenever at the local races that, that I see her husband go by on the race course, it's always like, hey, Matt, you're doing great. Good job, buddy. Uh, and so I, I, I never would have known this guy otherwise. And he, he never would have ended up working for TriDot for a little bit otherwise, uh, except that I met his wife at a CPR class. And uh, and she was like, oh, my husband's a triathlete. I'll put you two in touch. Um, so you never know, right, where you're going to bump into a, triathl a triathlete or meet a triathlete. Uh, Ernie, I love that story. I love this question. I'm excited to hear what our audience has to say. So make sure you are a member of the I Am TriDot Facebook group. We have thousands of triathletes talking swim, bike, and run every single day. And every Monday when the new show comes out, I pose the warm-up question to our audience uh, so find the post asking you, where in your life have you unexpectedly uh, found, discovered another triathlete? 
on to the main set. Going in three, two, one. We are thrilled to have Sailfish as the swim partner of Trot Out Training. Sailfish was founded in 2007 by Jan Sibersen, who was on the national German team and is the fastest swimmer to ever hit the waters of Ironman. The Sailfish mission is to create premium triathlon and open water swim products. And with the Kona course record holder personally testing everything they make, you know you are getting something special when you order from Sailfish. They certainly offer swim skins, tri suits, and swim accessories, but the core of the Sailfish product line are their award winning wetsuits. Sailfish wetsuits are truly made to make you faster. And that certainly has been the case for me. I've swam in many different brands of wetsuits over the years, and my Sailfish is the very first one that I put on, got into the water, and clocked swim splits I had no business hitting on my own. With several models and price points, there for sure will be a Sailfish wetsuit that is right for you. So head to Sailfish.com to check out all the neoprene goodness. An Olympic distance triathlon is twice the fun and twice the pain of a sprint distance triathlon. Uh, And depending on who you are uh, and what your fitness level is, an Olympic might be short and fast or it could be long and intimidating. No matter who you are and how long you plan to be on course, Coach McKeeley and Patrick from St. Anthony's Triathlon are here to get you ready to Ollie. Now, McKeeley, with two ITU Triathlon World Championships and one Olympic silver medal, uh, you certainly had a huge amount of success at this distance. Uh, you've won St. Anthony's, actually, many times at this distance. Patrick was nice enough to let me know that. Uh, you've won Escape from Alcatraz many times, which is uh, close to this distance. Uh, what is it about the Olympic distance that just made you, for lack of a better phrasing, just so darn good at it? You know, I think I think it's it's it it's like the the attitude that you come into this race because it's not a sprint distance and it's not a seventy point three distance, and it sort of sits nicely in between between because it's challenging enough that you can still sort of push the limit a little bit. But then the endurance factor starts to kick in. And then you also think about the fourth discipline of triathlon, and that's nutrition. So a lot of people don't understand that, you know, this is where nutrition really starts, that race nutrition. When you step up to an Olympic distance race, nutrition becomes key because, you know, the average triathlete is probably out there for over three hours. So it's important that you get your nutrition right. But, you know, swimming a 1,500-meter uh, swim distance, that's a long way. You know, it's, you have to train for it. You can't fake it. You know, you can fake a little bit the 750 to 500-meter range, but once you step up into that 1,500-meter, you know, you really need to know how to swim and have the fitness. And then, of course, the 40K bike, again, it just pushes the limits. You know, you get to that 18-mile mark and then you've still got that little bit to go. So it challenges you sort of towards the end. And then, of course, the 6.2-mile run. It's like if you've gone too hard on the bike and you haven't utilized your nutrition correctly also on the bike, you're really going to suffer on the run. And then it's also important that, you know, the last half of the the 10K – that's when, you know, you really see how good your fitness is, how good your nutrition yeah. <laughs> is, and then, you know, your mental aptitude, like, hey, come on, I got to keep going. You know, that's the hardest part, I feel, like definitely, you know, that last 5K of, of the run in an Olympic distance race. Yeah, I'm so glad you mentioned that this is really the first distance where n- nutrition can play a crucial role, and, and I, I we'll talk more about that a little further down uh, our, our run sheet here, but I, I remember my first Olympic distance. So I looked it up uh, coming into this conversation just because I was curious. Uh, I knew I had done triathlons for a year or two before I tried the Olympic distance. And I, my, my seventh triathlon was my first Olympic. So I did six sprints. I, technically it was, it was five sprints and a duathlon uh, before I did my first Olympic. Uh, and, and one, McKeeley, I just kind of like what you said, I was intimidated by the longer swim. Uh, and, and then two, yeah, I went into it and I, I just had no idea what to do with nutrition. I knew I needed something. Uh, and I remember very vividly, I, I ate, I, I took the time NT1 to eat like a little uh, a little waffle, um, like a honey stinger waffle thing. 
Um, and, and then I think that's all I did though. I don't think I had like, I think I took a gel on the run, but I, I, I didn't, I, I looking back, I know I didn't do enough. And that was just out of naivety. It was just out of an experience. And uh, hopefully as we talk further today about uh, how our folks can have their best experience at an Olympic, um, you know, they, uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that. So um, my, my first Olympic, my, my time, I looked it up, I finished in two hours and 47 minutes. Uh, so just a smidge above that three hour mark that you're saying is average. So uh, well well done, uh, 2017 Andrew Harley on that. Um, so, so Michaela, you put the, the distances in, in terms of miles. Uh, in terms of kilometers, it's a 1500 meter swim, a 40K bike and a 10K run. Nice, even round numbers. Now, I've always known this to be called the Olympic distance, uh, you know, but, but you were winning world championships at this distance before triathlon was even officially an Olympic sport. So what was this called before the year 2000 when it debuted in the Sydney Games? Was it always called an Olympic distance or was it, was it kind of classified as something else before that? It definitely was, you know, that was sort of the goal, I think, from the start that it was it, it was an international distance or Olympic distance really came into play really, really early in the sport. It wasn't something that, you know, well, this is the Olympic distance. You know, it sort of progressed from like international slash Olympic distance. So then when we started to go into that whole progression of getting ourselves into the Olympics, then then it really took over that it was the Olympic distance rather than an international distance. Yeah, which which you feel you feel so cool and so official when you when you sign up for an Olympic distance race and then you watch the Olympics on TV when it comes around and you're like, I've done that. I've done what they're doing, just much slower than they're doing it. Um, so when I was setting up the recording time for this episode, um, Patrick was the one, like I mentioned, who brought it to my attention um, that you, McKeeley, are a multi-time St. A's champion. Uh, so Patrick, thank you for that little info. Uh, but but McKeeley, I'm, I'm curious, is there a big difference for you just in the vibe uh, between racing uh, kind of time trial Olympics like St. Anthony's versus uh, kind of the draft legal style events that are done in ITU circuit at the Olympics? Uh, it's the same distance, uh, but did it feel the same for you in the pro field? No, definitely it's two types of races. Uh, you know, okay. the the non-drafting where, you know, you're not allowed to sit behind anyone, you know, there's distances. You know, it's it's really important to get set up on that TT bike, that drive positioning uh, for the bike. I mean, that's really where the big difference is because, you know, it's still – you know, you still swim the same distance. It still has the same feel. It's the bike that has a different feel. So in a drafting situation, you know, it can, it can be very erratic in the pacing where in a non-drafting race, it's like a steady state. You know, if you're looking at your functional threshold power, you know, you're right up there in that 90 to 95% of your functional threshold power where in an Olympic distance or the Olympics, you know, it's drafting. So sometimes, you know, you're going to be way over uh, into like above threshold and then you're going to be sitting way and you're like barely going to be pedaling because it's very tactical. So, and then that's, I think, where the real difference is basically is just on the bike, you know, just the different bikes. You know, when you race the Olympics, you're only allowed to ride a road bike, um, and then when you do this style of racing, like St. Anthony's triathlon, it's uh, full-on TT triathlon positioning. Not to say that you can't ride a road bike. There's a lot of people who do, and then some yeah, people sure. ride a road bike with whip-on handlebars. But, yeah, like definitely this is like you're out there by yourself and it's all about you on the bike where in an Olympic style of event where it's uh, drafting, it's basically like – the pack, how the pack works, who's willing to work, who's not willing to work, and, you know, also positioning out of the water because a lot of the times in that style of race, if you're not at the front of the pack, it's very, very hard to catch up where, you know, if you're a very strong cyclist, you still have a chance in a in a non-drafting situation. Yeah, I, I actually did my first draft legal race uh, last year, 2022. Um, I, I did the, the uh, USA Triathlon when, when they brought their multi-sport championships to Irving, Texas, that is 12 minutes down the road from my house. So I had to go down there and do something. Uh, I did the draft legal uh, uh, relay with some other tri-daughters. It was a ton of fun. Uh, so we will definitely have to have you come back on, Coach McKeeley, to, to talk to us about draft legal uh, races and how to do our best in that scenario, that environment. 
Uh, I don't think there's a ton of them uh, for the common age grouper, but they do exist and they're a lot of fun. So we'll, uh, we'll, we'll have to get that one on the books uh, in the future. And of course, if you're doing sprint distance racing, you know, and you want to go to the world championships, that's, that's the style of racing you do. It's the drafting style. Yeah, very, very true. So Patrick, I have to thank my friends from Clash Endurance. I'm wearing my Clash Endurance hat today as an homage uh, for introducing us. Uh, we, we were at Endurance Exchange recently in Austin, Texas, and, and I, I was instantly just pumped to have the race director for such a storied event uh, join us to talk about the Olympic distance try. Um, tell us just a little bit about your journey to becoming a race director in the first place, and then how you joined the team producing St. A's. Absolutely. And so um, the way I got my start as a race director is when I graduated from college in 2008, I needed a job. And uh, sure, <laughs> I, I, I really had no idea what triathlon was. You know, I'd heard of the Ironman and, uh, you know, that was really when, you know, uh, triathlon was starting to really take off was kind of the mid 2000s. And um, I started as an intern at Ironman. Um, in the Iron Kids Triathlon Department. Oh, cool! They were starting. So fun. They were starting to bring back the Iron Kids Triathlon series, and uh, over the next few years, I uh, helped develop uh, the Iron Kids Triathlon series. We produced, I think, at its most, um, thirty-two kids triathlons uh, throughout the country um, each year, which all culminated in a, a, a national championship held in. Uh, Des Moines. We held one in St. Pete. We held one in Arizona. So, um, you know, that's really where I got my start is uh, producing kids races. Uh, Now, um, you know, working for Ironman, you know, you have lots of different resources around you when it comes to learning and producing events and race directors. And um, I really got to know uh, the previous race director for St. Anthony's, uh, Philip LaHaye, who now works for uh, Clash Endurance as well. And he really showed me the ropes uh, when it came to uh, swim, bike, run, and the things that, uh, you know, needed to be set up and uh, done uh, to move from, you know, kids racing and shorter distance into that, uh, you know, Ironman distance, 70.3 distance. And so he really showed me the ropes um, on what it takes to produce such uh, big, uh, wonderful events. Um, after uh, I left Ironman, um, I had um, the opportunity to go work for Premier Event Management and Bill Burke, based out of New Orleans. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, Bill uh, is a legend in the sport, especially in w- when it comes to producing Olympic distance races. Um, I got to be a part of uh, producing some of the greatest Olympic distance races in the world, including, um, you know, the nation's triathlon, escape from Alcatraz, New York city triathlon, and of course the high V triathlon, um, which, you know, was one of the biggest prize purses in, uh, the sport of triathlon, um, you know, a few years ago. And uh, I really got to learn, uh, you know, event production, and Olympic distance racing from Bill Burke and the Premier Event Management crew, and uh, it's been a roller coaster of uh, of production ever since. But uh, you know, <laughs> we're, we're uh, very grateful to have finally produced the St. Anthony's Triathlon um, in 2022, and uh, you know, we're excited again for 2023 and our uh, our 40th anniversary of uh, of this great race. Yeah, and absolutely congrats on that. We uh, we, we actually went and raced uh, Escape from Alcatraz on its 40th anniversary just a few years ago. Uh, had a blast at that distance. I love that you got your start uh, with Iron Kids. I, I got my start coaching with just local youth and junior triathlon and going to the kids' races. Like, I just, I don't know, there, there's something about the moment when the, the kids are, are coming out of the water and entering T1. And, and they, they just all like they all have just these wild looks on these faces. Like they just survived like a war zone and they swam, you know, 300 yards or whatever. Um, so I, I, I love kids triathlon, youth triathlon. I love that you got your start there. Very, very cool to hear that. Uh, so you have raced St. Anthony's once. Uh, have you done any other triathlon uh, events? What, what, what's kind of your personal athletic uh, endurance background? So, uh, you know, I got into the sport uh, doing event production And I said, you know, I might as well give this thing a try. If I'm going to be behind the scenes, I might as well see what it's like from the other side. So um, 
you know, I did my first sprint triathlon um, in 2009 here uh, at Fort DeSoto here in St. Pete. And then I started training immediately after that for my first 70.3. Again, working for Ironman, you have a lot of, uh, you know, resources around you, you know, coaches and, um, you know, different uh, uh, people you can chat with just about racing. So I I decided to dive into this thing, uh, you know, full steam ahead. And so uh, I went from the sprint distance uh, immediately to uh, 70.3. Okay. And, uh, so, uh, I was able to do that. Um, I raced 70.3 new Orleans, um, a great Bill Burke race. And, uh, yep. after that is when I started, uh, really just on this triathlon journey, if you will, um, you know, from racing your local sprint triathlons to Olympic distance. I think I've done four Olympic distance triathlons, um, you know, over my, my, uh, span of years. Um, I've raced a handful of 70.3s. I've completed one full distance Ironman, um, you know, multiple marathons, multiple uh, half uh, half marathons, and, uh, you know, really just, uh, you know, loving the sport and everything that uh, was kind of going along with it. Let's talk a little bit about just, just coaching our athletes on how to do the best at an Olympic distance race. Uh, this won't be the case for everyone. But many triathletes get their start at the sprint distance, um, and, and like like myself, like you, Patrick mentioned, and then at some point have to make that decision to step up to the Olympic distance. Uh, I mentioned about myself; I did five sprints before I mustered up the courage to go a little bit for, uh, uh, further. Um, so, for an athlete listening who, who maybe has done the sprint distance, or someone who is a brand new triathlete looking at their first race, uh, Coach McKeeley, how can we know when we are ready to step up to that Olympic distance? You know, I think you're ready when, for one, you want to do one. Okay. You know, you sort of start thinking about it. I think that's the first step, right? It's like, hey, I've done all these sprints. It's like, you know, it's the same sort of transition that you do. I've done some 70.3s. I think I should do an Ironman or I want to stay in that sort of like comfort zone. So I think, you know, maybe you've done a couple of sprint distance races Maybe, you know, you started doing some longer training and you're like, oh, maybe I can do an Olympic. You know, as soon as that thought starts to come in your head or maybe it's like one of your friends is doing St. Anthony's triathlon and you want to do it with them. Right. It's, you know, it's always fun to do it with somebody else. But, you know, the process is, is for one, wanting to do it, identifying a race and then really adapting your training to more that Olympic distance style. And it's not a huge amount of training difference to a sprint, but definitely, you know, the load that you have to put in for the swim is important. You definitely want to feel comfortable swimming that 1500 meter distance. Uh, the bike typically, you know, if, if you're riding in a, doing a sprint distance race, you know, your training is anywhere from 90 minutes to two hours on the bike for your longest ride. So, you know, if you step that up to two, two and a half hours, you know, sort of in that area, you know, sometimes you need to go a little bit more. And then on the run, it's, I sort of feel that because I like to talk in minutes and hours rather than in distance. Sure. Uh, you know, for a sprint distance, maybe your, your max run is like 60 to 70 minutes, you know, just upping it to that 80 to 90 minute range. You know, you can get through an Olympic distance race, very, very comfortable. And then if you decide to push it, then, you know, you still have that confidence from that training load that you've progressed from sprint to the Olympics. So it's not a big, huge adjustment. I mean, definitely there's a workload increase for sure. And, you know, doing a little bit longer intervals that are focused around the pacing. I think that's one of the keys to racing successfully at this distance is is sticking to the pacing and uh letting your training dictate that that pacing based on on your assessments and everything so to me that's the key in an olympic distance race is getting the pacing correct because you know it is it's you know we say the sprint is a sprint race but it's not really because it's like like 90 minutes for the average person now we're stepping up to two and a half three hours for the average athlete so you know that endurance piece is huge as well so and, you know, it's like it's like I tell people, you know, just because you're running a marathon doesn't mean you have to run a marathon in training. And it's sort of a little bit similar but different for the, for the Olympic distance because you need to swim more than 1,500 metres. And really you need to bike 
you know, I feel that if you can bike, you know, a little bit more in that 30 to 50 mile range, that little extra endurance helps. And and then the run, you know, you want to run maybe a little bit over the six mile distance again, because it's that endurance component that kicks in. Yeah, I think for an athlete that is using tri-dot training, uh, th- th- this is probably a, a pretty easy jump because the the, the default training week with tri-dot, uh, unless you've messed with your settings or, or something, you, you usually will have a one-hour swim on, on yeah. Monday. You'll have a one-hour swim on Friday. Um, so yeah. in that one-hour swim, you're, you're probably going 2,000 yeah. to 3,000 3, uh, yards, meters, uh, and so you're you're already ready for that distance. You're doing that distance uh, every single time you go to the pool for for training. Your, your long bike session is already close to an hour and a half. Yeah, and then the same like with the run on TriDot as well. You know, I like where it sits you around that sixty to seventy minutes, and then it'll like push you out a little bit. And and I and I and I always believe you know like two to three swims is definitely like two for me would be minimum three for Olympic distance is very, very durable. Okay. Especially if you are swimming, you know, that prescribed time that TriDot allows uh, in their training programming. And then the strength component too is important because you are stepping oh, up a little bit. So making sure you are doing some type of functional strength because, you know, you are stepping up to a more endurance. So you want to make sure that, you know, you're not going to get injured so just adding that little bit of uh, strength component to it is really beneficial as well. Yeah, no, great thought there. Great comment. Uh, so so for me, when I was making that jump from sprint to Olympic, uh, that was before I was a tryout athlete. Uh, at, at the time, I, I was swimming three or four times a week, but I was only swimming 1,000 to 1,500 yards at a time on my lunch breaks at work. So I wasn't swimming like, like 1,500 meters seemed very far to me in the pool. You know, I was riding 20, 20 miles, 25 miles on a Saturday and that so like all the distances of an Olympic distance try seemed like a long way to me. It is. Then you have to put it together. <laughs> and, and a lot of the sprints I did, I, I I think the official distance of a sprint is like 750 meters because it's it's half of an Olympic. But a lot of the the pool based swims, uh, the, the the pool based sprints that we have in the Dallas Fort Worth area, you know, they're only 250 to 300 meters. If you're swimming 300 meters in a sprint in a pool. And you're looking at your next race being an Olympic and it's 1500 meters in open water, like that is five times farther on the swim. So, so to me, it just seemed like an eternity to be out there in the water. Uh, and and I, I finally made the jump and, and finally got into it. And, and so I think if you're using Trot Out to Train, it's probably not as intimidating of a jump as it is uh, for, for me uh, when I wasn't using Trot Out back in that time. But I was going to say, because you were talking about like racing and the swim distance, I think that's pretty typical across the entire country that, you know, there's not a lot of times that you get to swim like 750 metres. A lot of the times the swims are 400 to 500 yards and sometimes metres. So, you know, then, as you said, there is a bigger step for some people, but like on the TriDot platform, and I think it's important because swim is sort of the, the, the highest risk for me. Like when I'm coaching, it's like I always make sure that you're competent in the water because I think that's super important because – you want your athletes to have a good experience. And part of that is, you know, un- them understanding the training load that's required to swim a 1500 meter swim. Like even my co- collegiate um, tri kids that I coach, they're always like, well, why do we swim this much when our swim's only going to be this? I go, because it sets yourself up for a successful bike yeah. and run because you don't want to be so fatigued and so freaked out in that water that, you know, then your race is sort of gone because, you know, you didn't do what you needed to do to feel comfortable and competent. And I think that's two words that I like to use, comfortable and competent. Yeah, trot-out athletes can add an Olympic like St. Anthony's to their race X and and trot-out from there will begin to tailor your training to get you ready for that race. Uh, Patrick, I'm curious from your experience. I mean, you've raced this distance, you've raced a couple of different distances, uh, on top of what McKeeley said and on top of uh, the, the training that TriDot will give an athlete, uh, Patrick, do you have any additional nuggets of wisdom from your own Olympic experience on training for that Olympic distance? Yeah, so uh, I think McKeeley said it right is, you know, when you're ready to make that jump, uh, you know, there's plenty of Olympic distance races out there that, um, you know, would be glad to have athletes come and race with them. You know, for a, a sprint distance, 
a lot of times, you know, you can you can muscle through a swim, you can muscle through a bike and a run. But when you start, uh, you know, getting into those bigger distances, uh, you know, the Olympic distance is a great one to then have to add a little bit of extra time, a little bit of extra training. Um, you know, you don't have to give up your social life. You don't have to, uh, you know, completely uh, go full on in on, you know, super early mornings and three day uh, workouts and things like that, you know, you can still, uh, you know, train for an Olympic distance race and still be able to, uh, you know, enjoy, um, you know, a, a, a good social life and, uh, you know, uh, being able to not uh, have to completely rearrange your schedule to train for it. Yeah, no, absolutely true. Um, every race distance has, to me, uh, just a different feel and presents very different challenges, uh, right? I mean, er earlier on the show, though, I mentioned how I, I feel like the Olympic distance, to me, is the one that hurts the most. Because to me, it it's, it's twice the distance of a sprint, but I really don't back off the pace all that much from my sprint effort. I mean, Keely, you mentioned earlier, 90 to 95% of your FTP on the bike, That that's, that's not that much less than going full tilt on a sprint. Uh, so, so by the end, I mean, coming around towards the finish line, I, I am just in shambles uh, trying to get my legs to keep turning over, keep that cadence going as I approach the finish line. Uh, what, what wisdom do you both have in terms of pacing the, the Olympic distance to get, you know, just to get the, to ache the most out of your fitness on that race course, coach McKeeley. So, you know, it depends, you know, how competitive you want to be, right? You know, if you're going for a, a, a medal on the podium compared to just finishing, I mean, they're, they're two sort of different goals and, and the philosophy of how hard you're going to go. But but I think you're right, Andrew, because I'm the same way. It's like, you know, I do a sprint. I'm like, oh, my goodness, how am I going to be able to maintain that for Olympic? Because pretty much I'm not, as you said, you're not going much slower. And, you know, for me, the pacing is in the training that, you know, you are doing the sessions in the pool where, you know, like a, a perfect session for me is like a broken 1500. So you're doing like a set that's like 1500 and have short rest. But, you know, in the end, you know, you've worked and you get confident from that. And then on the bike, you know, you've got to add like, that's what I like about TriDot, it's the intervals. Intervals are so important. It's funny because <clears throat> back in the day, you know, a lot of people would just go ride their bike. Okay, that's my bike session. But, you know, as we progress, you know, people understand the importance of intervals. So understanding what it feels like to ride at that FTP for, you know, some athletes can do it in 60 minutes. Some athletes are going to take uh, not, almost 90 minutes to finish the bike. So understanding what that effort feels like, that perceived effort is important as well. And then, you know, running off the bike. I mean, transition from that 40K to that 10K, you know, that's why we do bricks. Yeah. That's why we run off the bike. So we understand how, how that feels, you know, shorten your stride. Make sure that you're used to running with a level of fatigue because that's the secret to to being successful is having the body adapt to that fatigue very quickly. The 10K run, you know, it's not just fitness, it's nutrition. You know, I said it before, you know, it's like you said, you know, you find it really tough, like at the, at the like ending few miles, right? That's when like nutrition like starts to really help. Yeah, you have to do the running training. You know, you've got to do the intervals. You've got to learn what the race pace is going to feel like and you know, definitely if you compare your regular 10K to a, a triathlon 10K, there's really only like a very small percentage of difference. It's usually about 10 to 15%. You know, for some of the elite athletes, the idea is to close that gap, right? If you can run, you know, some of these professional men are running like 29 minutes off the bike, right? So really their, their normal 10K run is very similar to that. So that's the whole idea is to learn how to run with that level of fatigue and still be able to maintain that for, for triathlon. And I think sometimes that's the hardest thing when runners come into the sport because they're not used to running with that level of fatigue. They're used to having a lot fresher legs. Yeah. 
So that's why, you know, you see some people who can run off the bike really, really well and others who can't. So it's important to make sure that training is duplicating that level of fatigue that you get used to. The last 5K, you've got to get some nutrition in and that will sustain you to the finish. Yeah. I, again, looking back at my, my Olympic experiences, my very first one, you know, before try out training, um, I, looking at my run split, I, I ran like a 53 minute run split, uh, you know, was hanging on for dear life. And then fast forward to a few years into being a trotted athlete. And, uh, my, my last Olympic distance, uh, I ran a 43 minute, uh, 10 K off, off the bike. Um, I, I'm a, I'm a 38 minute, um, nice. 10 K or just on a track as a, as a time trial. And so, yeah, to your point, McKeely, I, I, you know, put, putting in the work and all those trot out zone four and, and, and zone five intervals and all, all the strength training and, and things that we do, uh, all the, all the brick works where you get off the bike on a Saturday and, and you run 20 minutes at zone three. Um, yeah, it really paid off with me being able to hold a much larger percentage of my 10 K pace, um, off the bike than I, I could previously before. Um, and, and, and definitely had a lot more fun doing it. It hurt, it hurt real bad, but, uh, had a lot of fun doing that. Uh, so, so Patrick, for you, just in your experience racing, uh, the, this, this distance, uh, what, what kind of pacing tips do you have, uh, from, from your experience? So, um, you know, I was never the greatest athlete. Uh, you know, I was always the, uh, do my best to kind of hang on. Um, you know, yes, uh, let's go towards the, towards the middle and the end of the race. But I also have we, we can be we can be friends and training partners, you and I. Well, but I also have seen a lot of races from an operations side and from a race director side, and you see the full scope of athletes that come to race the Olympic distance. So, you know, not only do we have our pros here, we also have um, a lot of athletes who are using our race to try to earn their pro card. So you have some of those, mm. uh, you know, really um, – you know, intense athletes who are out here uh, who have trained and they're here to race fast. Um, and that's one thing that uh, is great about the Olympic distance and that you have to put in the training for it. You know, we have athletes who are here to uh, swim that 1500, to bike that uh, and to run that, uh, you know, as hard as they can go to try to podium or to try to earn that pro card. On the other end of it, we have those athletes who, you know, want to come out here and just enjoy, uh, you know, great event that we produce, uh, hanging out with, you know, the local tri community and, you know, really just be a part of such a great event that is, you know, put on, um, you know, in this great location. And, you know, but both of those require putting in some sort of training. Um, it's not, sure. it's, you know, it can be the, super intense, you know, going for your pro card, but can also be the, uh, you know, I need to learn to swim 1500. I need to learn to bike the distance. I need to learn to run the distance and then putting them all together. So with it all and with the pacing, you know, there's a broad spectrum of athletes who come out and race uh, St. Anthony's and who come out and race the Olympic distance. But all of them uh, have, you know, one thing in common is, you know, this is the distance where you have to start putting in uh, you know, some, some training and some, some effort to be able to put them all together and to be able to cross that finish line. And to, uh, you know, McKeeley's point, uh, this really is the distance where you do have to start incorporating nutrition into it. Um, you know, yes. from, uh, especially here in St. Pete and in Florida, you know, uh, it can, it can get a little warm on race day. So you've got to learn to, uh, make sure that you're hydrating, making sure you're keeping your electrolytes, uh, up and in balance as well as, you know, um, being able to fuel, um, you know, the bike and, and ultimately the run to make sure that, uh, you have a great day out there and you can finish that race. Yeah. Let, let's talk about that fueling for, for just a second, because at, at the sprint distance, I think for most people, it's just a, a, a splash of this and a splash of that at, at the aid stations along the way. And, and, and largely you're fine. Maybe a couple sips from a bottle on the bike while you're biking. Uh, but as soon as you double that distance, like McKeeley said a couple times, like Patrick, you just reiterated, um, you know, depending on how long you plan to be on course, calories and hydration really are a factor. McKeeley, what do we need to consider to stay fueled for that 51 and a half uh, kilometer event? Well, I think number one, it's like, you know, we're so lucky now that we can get access to sweat testing and see what we're actually, what that process is, you know, particularly like, you know, 
as we were talking about, you know, the climatic conditions, you know, in a, in a hot race versus a cold race. So for one, you know, it's, it's worth the investment of, of knowing what your sweat profile is because that can really, really help you because, you know, you can't just do this distance on water alone. You know, you need the electrolytes and you need to make sure you are hydrated before you start. And I think that's something that sometimes people forget, not just in racing, but in training. Like if it's a hot day and you're going for a run, you got to make sure you, you're filling up the tank, so to speak, before you start. So, you know, in terms of what you do, you know, basically for an Olympic distance race, you know, you have to have a breakfast. I try to tell people, you know, two to three hours before have, you know, it could be oatmeal, it could be a bagel, it could be something like that, you know, two to three hours before. And then, you know, 30 minutes before you're taking in a little bit more carbohydrate. But, you know, through that process, up until your time you get up, up until you start the race, you want to be hydrating as well. And not just with water, with electrolytes. And then once you start the race, you know, particularly in a hot race, you know, you've got to remember you're sweating. So as soon as you get out of the water, it's important, again, to hydrate. And, you know, if if you're at the front of the pack, you know, your needs are going to be a little bit different to like being a little bit further back in the pack. So maybe you need to get those carbohydrates in a little bit sooner than, say, a, a more elite athlete that maybe at the halfway on the bike, they're going to be taking in some sort of like gel or chews. Um, and then they're also going to be, you know, continually hydrating. But also it's important to like keep your core temperature down in a hot race. So perhaps you have two water bottles on your bike and one will be your electrolytes and one will be plain water. So you can cool yourself down a little bit during that 40K because you can overheat very quickly. And then, you know, as you get to the later stages of the bike, you know, there's two options you can do. You can like gel up or, or get some more carbohydrate source in right before you get off the bike. Uh, always make sure as soon as you hit that first aid station on the run, take advantage of it. And then, you know, halfway on the run, you know, again, you want to take in some sort of carbohydrate. Um, and then if you have a high sweat rate, you've got to also look at the salt concentration in Olympic distance race. Like how much sodium have I got in um, during that phase? Because I don't want to get to the point where, you know, I'm dehydrated. Um, so it's important to look at the whole process of, you know, not just your your grams of carbohydrate, but what your sweat profile looks like. Uh, and, you know, it's for me, like an Olympic distance race, I sort of half the needs in a 70.3 okay, race sense. so and a nine-man distance. So for me, for me, yeah, so for me in in an Ironman race, I'm probably looking at like, on the low end, 40, on the high end, 60 grams of, of carbohydrate. In an Olympic distance race, I'm probably looking at like 20 to 30. Patrick, I'm curious for you as, as an event producer, right? And, and you're also on this podcast saying, hey, hydration is very important at this distance. Nutrition is very important at this distance. Uh, the, the, the same weekend that, that you produce the Olympic distance, you also have a sprint at St. Anthony's, uh, I, I believe. Uh, and a lot of a lot of uh, races do that. If they have an Olympic, they also have a sprint, and vice versa. Um, so, so from the just the event production standpoint, are, are, are you are you is it just a, as simple as doubling the aid stations? Are are you trying to equip the aid stations with with more nutrition options and more hydration options, knowing that these athletes are going to be out on course twice as long or a little bit longer? Uh, what what kind of comes into play for it from just the the production standpoint when you think about? Uh, fueling your athletes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, St. Anthony's uh, is in Florida and, you know, we can oftentimes have, uh, you know, great weather and sometimes we can have hot weather and, you know, leading up to the race, we absolutely plan for that um, because, you know, the safety and the health of our athletes is the number one priority around here. And, you know, we offer multiple things uh, throughout uh, race day for our Olympic distance athletes and our sprint distance athletes to make sure that they are fueling properly and, uh, you know, being able to, uh, to take care of the nutrition needs. Um, we do uh, offer uh, water and electrolyte uh, and Gatorade bottle fill and transition in the, in, in the morning. Um, 
you know, we do offer a bottle exchange out on the bike course. Not a whole lot of Olympic distance races do that. Um, we offer a bottle exchange, which includes uh, uh, water and uh, Gatorade endurance formula uh, for our Olympic athletes. And then on the run, um, you know, we want to make sure that, uh, you know, all of our athletes are fueling properly there and offer uh, water, ice, um, you know, we offer Gatorade endurance formula for the run as well as gels for uh, our sprint and Olympic athletes um, when it comes to uh, getting out there on the run course and uh, taking in the proper nutrition that you need to, to make it to that finish line. Yeah, I was just going to say, I think one of the biggest mistakes I see a lot of athletes making is, you know, a lot of the times the swim start is a fair distance from the transition. And, you know, if you're doing, we're doing the wave starts and maybe your race is way later. I see so many people who aren't continuing that hydration leading up into their, their start. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, it's a great, great yeah, point. And I, and you know, it's, it's important that, you know, it's like, I know I've been at races and it's like, there's a delay or something. And you're like, you're like, you just want something to drink because it's so hot. So you know, making sure that you do take into account like when your start time is, when you have to get out of transition as well. That's like one of the biggest mistakes I see athletes making and like in most races that they don't keep that hydration up and they're standing there waiting for their race for maybe an hour and they're sweating. Yep. So, so go down there with a bottle, go down there with, uh, with, with some salt pills, whatever it is that you can take on the, on the spot. I often go down to to the start line with one last gel uh, in, in my in my pocket to top off before the race starts. Um, so yeah, great point there, uh, Michaela. Yeah, that, that's something exactly. we definitely preach to our Ironman athletes, to our seventy point three athletes. Uh, and yeah, at, at the Olympic distance, uh, you're you're fueling yourself for a multi hour effort, and so you you need to start off with those carbohydrate stores, with those electrolyte stores, totally topped off at, at the point you hit that start line. And, and I'm hoping one of the questions you ask us uh, soon is how you warm up. McKeeley, I do not have that question on my sheet, so let's talk about it. Let's let's go there. I know, I know, but that's a that's another neglected like point that I see so many athletes. It's like you warm up for all these other things in training, right? We do a warm up for the swim, we do a warm up for the bike, we do a warm up for the run, we do a warm up for our strength session, and then you get to a race and all these people are just standing around. <laughs> And, and they don't. And Coach McKeeley is like, "What are you doing?" And uh, yeah, and you know, I know even my athletes. I'm like, "You saw me go out and warm up," and you know, it doesn't like in a hotter environment. It doesn't have to be very much, but it's like it's nice just to get moving. And sometimes, you know, it's a swim. You know, getting in and swimming a little bit. But sometimes that's not possible. So thinking of some other way to warm up. And you know, a lot of people will go for a run because that's so easy to do, which is great. But, you know, even on the bike, if you are, you know, if you are getting your bike out of the car and then you're racking the morning of the race, you know, get on for a few minutes and make sure your gears are working, make sure your brakes aren't rubbing. If you've taken wheels out, you know, that can be part of your warm up as well. So the warm up doesn't have to be long, but it should be something. And, you know, in a colder environment, it's even more important because, you know, if it's a cold swim, it's important to, you know, get that. Maybe it's just swinging your arms before you get in the water. You know, it's like maybe it is doing a little bit of a, a warm up as well. You know, sometimes when, you know, you get to swim out to the starting point of the race, that could be a nice warm up too. But I, it's, it's also one of the neglected pieces that, you know, especially if you're racing flat out at this distance, right? If you're like really racing to the best um, and to your fitness level and you're trying to get on that podium, like warming up a little bit can make a big difference because, you know, the, the swim is, can be very explosive in this type of racing. I, I will shamelessly plug uh, Try Out Podcast episode number 67. I looked it up while you were talking. Uh, we, we, we did a whole episode called The Why and How of Your Pre-Race Warm-Up. Uh, and Michaela, to your point, I, I totally blanked on putting uh, the, the warm-up down on this episode. Very important when you're racing short course. Uh, and, and one of the points that Trotout Coach Jeff Rains makes on this episode, it's, it's episode number 67, if someone wants to go back and listen to it, it originally came out January 4th of 2021. But Coach Jeff said, he, he was like, the longer your race is, the less important that warm-up is, because your body's going to have plenty of time on Ironman race day to, to ease into the effort. 
But when you're racing shorter, when you're racing a super sprint, a sprint, an Olympic, uh, you're, you're going at a higher intensity from the get-go. Uh, and that takes really properly warming up your muscles to, to really fire straight away when you hop in that water for the first time, like you're talking about. Uh, so great point. Thank you for bringing it up. That's why you're the industry expert on this episode. And I'm just the average Joe asking the questions. So uh, listen to Coach McKeeley and do your warm up. Uh, McKeeley, before we let you go, um, I, I, I have one or two questions left for Patrick, just about St. Anthony's in, in particular. Uh, but, but I just want to ask you as someone who has won that race seven times, uh, which Patrick tells me is tied for the record of the most St. Anthony's wins by a pro triathlete. Uh, you, you've won a lot of different races at the Olympic distance. Uh, what were your thoughts on St. Anthony's try in St. Pete, Florida? You know, one of the things that I loved most about St. Anthony's Triathlon, it was like the big season opener. It was like an opportunity to really see where your fitness was at. It was like the big race to get the U.S. season started. But it was also the community feel. Like I met so many wonderful people. Uh, the homestay program is absolutely fantastic. Uh, you know, I love the course because it's like it's it's just fast and furious, you know, the water can be challenging. It can be a little challenging sometimes with the chop in the water, but it's like, I love the unexpected nature because you didn't know how much wind you were going to get on the bike. And, you know, it was, it was a time where you could really like put some of your fastest times together for both the swim, the bike and the run. And even though there's lots of turns on the bike, it's still a super fast course. And one of my stories that I wanted to share was, uh, Craig Walton did this race one year and he totally forgot his uh, cycling shoes um, in the hotel and he didn't have time to go <laughs> back and get his cycling shoes. He, pro he proceeded to ride past the entire field riding in his run shoes. That's like, that's old school. Like, absolutely yeah. amazing athlete. But yeah, yeah, but yeah. And that, I mean, that's the thing about, you know, this particular race. It's like I came back year after year because I loved it so much. And, yeah, it was because it was one of the fastest races we could do. But it was also one of those community events that you, you made long-lasting relationships. Oh, very, very cool. Uh, Patrick, for you, I, I'm curious just uh, for, from the race director standpoint, it, this might be anecdotal to my area where I live, um, it, it, but it seems like there's – many, many more local sprints than there are Olympic options for athletes to sign up for. Uh, in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, I looked this up just out of curiosity, I counted uh, from the race producers I'm familiar with anyway, looking on their websites, I counted 22 sprint distance races to eight Olympics uh, throughout the year uh, in the Dallas-Fort Worth vicinity. Um, as, as an event producer, you know, what changes for an event when you make it an Olympic versus a sprint or, or having both, which you do with St. A's? So, you know, we, we started as an Olympic distance race and then we added uh, the sprint distance a few years ago um, because it worked well with our course. It allowed uh, more athletes to come out and race with us and really enjoy the overall event experience. Um, you know, the, the, the difference obviously in distance is one, but also making it work operationally. You know, um, it goes from covering, you know, a, a 26 mile bike course, uh, you know, where you can have, where you need to find multiple roads. You can sometimes do out and backs, things like that, um, to a sprint where a lot of times it's between 10 and 12 miles. So being able to find five miles out and back is a little easier than being able to cover a full 26 miles when it comes to, uh, you know, uh, an Olympic distance race. And same goes with, with a run course, um, you know, being able to find the distance, um, find the, the ability to be out there for longer times, you know, um, uh, for a sprint distance race, you know, a lot of athletes are racing between one hour and, you know, two and a half hours versus, uh, you know, an Olympic distance race, which, you know, a race of this size, um, you know, we do our best to get everybody in the water as fast as we can, but our course doesn't officially close until one in the afternoon. So, you know, you're wow. having to build all of this into your, your timeline, your infrastructure of, you know, making sure that you can keep uh, the roads shut down, make sure that you can keep your athletes safe and uh, you're making sure that everybody's out there enjoying themselves, um, you know, throughout, uh, you know, a long day of racing. 
So, Patrick, I, I eventually will come do St. Anthony's. It's not going to be this year for me, as, as I said earlier. Uh, there will be plenty of trot outers there, uh, definitely taking in the, the experience. We have a lot of podcast listeners in the Florida area, obviously a big triathlon state with the sunny weather uh, year-round. But just, just kind of close out our main set today with just kind of an, an invitation. I know it's the 40th anniversary of St. Anthony's this year. Now, someone's going to come across this podcast episode like four years from now and, and click on it and listen, and they're going to be really confused. Uh, but for, for people racing it this year or in the area this year, uh, uh, just just give us the invitation for the 40th anniversary of uh, St. A's Track. Yeah, this is uh, the 40th anniversary of St. Anthony's. Um, we are excited to host um, you know, a great pro field, uh, a sprint uh, distance, an Olympic distance. We also have a relay uh, option for each one of those, as well as our Meek and Mighty Triathlon uh, on Saturday, uh, which is a triathlon uh, for youth and also for uh, maybe those beginners who are looking to, uh, you know, try out the sport of triathlon. We have a distance uh, an event for everyone throughout the weekend, um, as well as our uh, sports and fitness expo starting on Friday, uh, full day of racing expo um, on Saturday, and then the big race, uh, big race on Sunday. So, uh, you know, this is a, a great opportunity for us, and uh, we're looking forward to, you know, such a, a, a putting on a great event. Great set, everyone. Let's cool down. It's cool down time, and I'm Vanessa, your average triathlete with elite level enthusiasm. Today on the cool down, I am here with Brandy Ramirez, who is one of those people who warms your heart as soon as you meet her. Brandy is a mother of one adopted and four biological children. In 2008, she wanted to prove to herself that she was a strong and powerful woman, and so she decided to give triathlon a try. Despite all the training and racing, she did not find the breaking point that she was anticipating, but instead fell in love with the sport. In 2017, Brandy was diagnosed with stage 3 breast cancer and spent the next year and a half undergoing aggressive treatments to save her life. When she decided to return to the sport, she hit rock bottom as she struggled to run a single mile. With a degree in science and health, a certified Ironman coach, and a certified yoga and Pilates reformer instructor, she realized that she needed to rebuild from the bottom up. Brandy also started to wonder how many women had beat cancer and desired to return to exercise only to realize how much strength they had lost during their illness and treatments. At that very moment, she created a nonprofit called She Strong, which has 3,900 members to date, and the main goal is to help women get back into training following illness. Brandy hosted the first USAT sanctioned race in her hometown of Kingman, Arizona this year, where a portion of the registration fee was used to create scholarships for young girls whose primary caregiver has battled cancer. Since 2019, Brandy has become a TriDot coach, a TriDot master swim instructor, and a newly minted certified USAT race director. This woman is a force to be reckoned with, and I am honored to welcome her to share a coach cooldown tip. Hi, Vanessa. Thank you so much for having me here today. I really appreciate it. Well, we are so lucky to have you sharing all of your knowledge and wisdom. I just, I'm so excited to hear um, what you have for us today. Uh, but it seems to me that there is absolutely nothing that will get in your way when you put your mind to something. Um, I can only imagine how many people you have inspired while on your triathlon cancer and uh, subsequent comeback journey. Yeah, um, I wouldn't really say I've inspired anybody. To my knowledge, I'm just trying to put out as much positive energy for women who have gone through cancer and are trying to get back. Um, I hope that, you know, some people can can recognize what I'm doing and respond to it. And I think maybe I have inspired a few people out there. I can 100% guarantee that you have inspired people because just reading your bio, I have shivers like all up and down my arms. So I know that you've inspired me. So even if it's just me, which it is not, but even if it's just me, you are an inspiration um, to, yeah, to, to me and to your own athletes. And you have so much training, racing and life experience. So what tip would you like to share with our listeners today? So a tip that's really close to my heart right now is to pay attention to your feet, right? Your feet are the heart and soul of your racing days and your training. So make sure that you're really putting a lot of effort into helping them recover. I think a lot of times um, your feet might be overlooked unless they're sore and screaming at you. You're probably really not paying attention to them. So I tell my athletes and myself, um, be good to your feet. 
That doesn't mean wait for a two hour run to decide, you know, that you're going to take care of your feet or, you know, put some time and effort into them. If you're like me and you can't afford those amazing compression boots and those compression legs <laughs> that some people have out there, I mean, at least I haven't afforded them yet. Um, yeah. So I do things like, you know, make sure you, you find a good massage therapist. If you're starting to have some soreness in your feet, have them really pay attention to your feet and work out the knots or the soreness. You can get a pedicure. When you get a pedicure, you can get your feet rubbed. And that's not just for us women. That's for you men out there too. So there's no yeah. reason you can't go and get a pedicure. You don't have to paint your toes hot pink, but go ahead and treat your feet. Go sit them in a nice, you know, warm bath, let them massage them. And if the least that you can do is when you come home after a hard day, put on a pair of compression socks and elevate your feet for 10, 15 minutes. Put as much time into your feet as you can because you will need them for a very, very long time ahead of you. Yeah, that is definitely something that I've come to realize as, as I've moved over here um, to Australia in a warmer climate. I notice that my feet have deteriorated a little bit because I'm not used to all of this humidity. Um, so taking care of the feet is definitely something that is a wonderful tip. Um, do you, do you recommend using those little like foot balls? You know how you can get a ball and you like roll your foot on it. Have you, is that something that you would recommend to athletes? Yeah, absolutely. You know, you can go to, you know, any Walmart, I'm not sure if they have them in Australia, but we have Walmart here in the States. Um, and they do have different apparatuses that you could buy. And so if you're sitting even at your desk at work, you can put that ball that you're talking about underneath your feet and just kind of rub them back and forth. And there's different shapes and sizes, different pressure that you could put onto them. But yeah, anything that you can do to just relieve that tension. And even if you don't have the tension with doing yoga, I do so many different feet stretches and strengthening mm, exercises. Yeah. And you really just have to take five minutes a day. If that's the least, put some time into your feet. You'll never regret that. Right. And I, I absolutely love the multitasking while you're working, <laughs> doing your job. You just stick that ball right under there. Um, and the other thing that came to mind is I went to a yoga class the other day and um, the, the yoga instructor called one of the, the poses the toe screamer. And I thought that was the most amazing reference because it's the one where you're, um, you're up on your, your toes and you, you're sitting on your heels mm -hmm. and your toes are just bent and it makes everyone's toes scream. So I just thought that was the cutest way to, <laughs> to refer to that pose. Yeah. So I do that. I do that pose. And then even when I'm a coach on deck for my athletes who come to the Tridot pool school, that is one stretch that I do. I have them do that every morning and you do it, um, Every night I do it personally, I do that. And then there's another one where when you come from that position, instead of having your toes spread out underneath your body, you flip those toes under and then you mm -hmm. straighten the body out almost like in a push-up position with your hands and you walk your hands back as close as you can. Um, it's a ballet move from a long, long time ago and it really stretches the entire foot out. And, you know, as a swimmer, you really need that because you need that flexation in your kick. I cannot wait to go and try that. <laughs> I'm really excited to go and give that one a try. I've never thought of it in that way um, to reverse the the pressure on your toes. So yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go try that pretty much right now. Yeah. If you do pressure <laughs> so, one way, always make sure you come back and you do the pressure right. the other way. So you gotta even it out. Yeah. Thanks for joining us. Make sure to subscribe and share the TriDot podcast with your triathlon crew. For more great Tri content and community, connect with us on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Ready to optimize your training? Head to TriDot.com and start your free trial today. TriDot, the obvious and automatic choice for triathlon training.